This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. The first reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. The second reading today comes from Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages aren't credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who doesn't work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It wasn't after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believed, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness not might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but, also, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It wasn't through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be their heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. 
For if those who depend upon the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet it didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths and strength to our lives. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. My welcome to you uh, from me. My name's Tim. Uh, it's good to see you, especially if we haven't seen you in a while or if this is your first time here. Well, there's a scene in The Hobbit, Tolkien's novel, The Hobbit, when Bilbo the Hobbit and his dwarvish travelling party are wandering through Mirkwood Forest. It was once a great woodland, but had become a dark and fearsome place. As they travelled, the darkness just oppressed them and seeped into them and they grew increasingly disoriented and downcast and hopelessly lost in the gloom. Over the last few weeks, the book of Romans has been perhaps a little bit like this dark forest, painting a dreadful picture of humanity under the power of sin and under the judgment of God. It's easy to get lost in the gloom. But a turning point for Bilbo was when he climbed the tallest tree limb by limb and poked his head out above the canopy. And the sun streamed down on his face and the fresh air blew and refreshed his spirit. Now last week we got to the end of Romans 3 and that was our burst of sunlight. Yes, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but now, now all can be justified declared innocent through faith in Jesus Christ. In him our sin is wiped away, God's anger is turned away, we are set free from slavery to sin, we are declared righteous. Now this is what Christians through the ages have called justification through faith. And it's what makes Christianity good news, that salvation is open to all who believe, 
all who come to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus in faith. Yeah, but I think we, we have a bit of a problem with justification through faith. The problem is that I, I think we struggle to believe it and struggle to live it in two ways. First, instead of allowing God to justify us as a gift, we seek to justify ourselves, to prove ourselves, either to God or to others. Do you, do you know this, this sense, this feeling, this way of being, trying to prove your worth, trying to always do the right thing, to be a good Christian, to work, to make an impact, to, to be the perfect family member, to be at least useful or funny or beautiful or smart, to show that you are worthy. We try to justify ourselves. But second, another thing we do that doesn't understand justification, justification by faith is that we draw boundaries around who we think is worthy, who is in the right and who is out. We see this in a secular sense in the political and social divisions among us. But this is just an expression of a deeper spiritual issue. We think we know what kinds of people God will accept, people he will really accept. Now, these are serious spiritual sicknesses for ourselves and for our community. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans 4, he knew this, and that's why he wrote this chapter. And so if we want to overcome this malady, we need to listen closely so we can really understand and really believe and really live out this justification through faith. And so Paul gets right into it. He, he begins in that first verse by showing us that our justification is not by our works. And that's my first main point this morning, that we simply cannot be saved, cannot be justified by anything that we do. Now, this can be a bit hard to compute because we know that what we do really matters. You know, it surely counts for something, right? Well, consider Abraham, Paul says. Abraham was the founding father of Israel. God chose Abraham and his wife Sarah to be the beginning of this new people out of creation through whom he would bless the world. And Abraham himself, he was a model of obedience, well, at least According to the eyes of uh, Paul's readers, he followed God's call to move his family across the world. He even was willing to sacrifice his own son. And so as God says in Genesis 26 verse 5, he says, Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Surely, a man like this, Abraham, it's surely accounted for something before God. In your world, if God was going to declare someone around you uh, as righteous, who would it be? Who is the most godly or maybe the most hardworking, the most self-giving, the most humble person you know? Surely that counts for something. But Paul says, no. What matters most is right there in verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham wasn't justified by what he did, but because he simply had faith in God. 
In verses 4 and 5, God didn't reward him for a job well done. He didn't pay him wages for anything he did. God doesn't justify the hardworking or the, go- or the godly or the one who loves a lot or the one who tries hard. God justifies who? Who is it? Look there in verse 5. He justifies the ungodly, the person who doesn't deserve it, as a gift. Now, this can be a little confronting because it means that you cannot justify yourself. No matter what you do, it will never make you worthy of God's gift of grace. No effort you will expend. No money you might ever give. The life that you might give up. None of that could render you right in God's eyes. When I was a kid, I, I very clearly remember having, uh, having this idea. You know, I was, a, I was a good kid. I obeyed my parents. I was good at school. I didn't annoy my sisters too much. I, uh, surely God would accept me. That he would justify me because, well, on balance, I was pretty good at so I deserved it. But the point here is that even Abraham had nothing to boast about before God. And so neither do you or neither do I. Now, verse, Paul in verse 6 introduces another person, King David. Now, if there's anyone who knows about being unworthy, it's him. He was God's chosen king. He was a virtuous and courageous leader. And yet one spring, while he was in his palace, he saw beautiful woman Bathsheba and decided that he wanted her for himself. And so he took her. He made her pregnant and he decided to cover it up. His husband wouldn't, uh, her husband wouldn't cooperate, so he had him killed. David revealed himself to be a deeply sinful and ungodly man, even though he was God's chosen and virtuous king. So what would God do? Weigh up his merits? Decide that maybe David just might squeak through because of his virtue and courage and worship? No, look what David says. In verses 7 to 8, Paul quotes Psalm 32. He says, Blessed are those... Not who try really hard or whose good things outweigh their bad. He says, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. David knew that his sin left him with no hope. He needed to have his sin forgiven and covered over. His wrongdoing wiped off his account. And so if David's example means that you can't justify yourself, sorry, if Abraham's example means you can't justify yourself, then David's example means you don't need to justify yourself. You might be here today with a deep sense of inadequacy. Maybe you've done dreadful things. Or you're stuck in recurring sin or destructive patterns of behaviour. Or you just feel, frankly, inadequate. You're not good enough, not clever enough, not successful enough. If you had to rate yourself out of 10 in God's eyes, 
what do you think you'd be? Maybe a seven or a six or maybe just a two. Or imagine the worst possible person in the world. The worst possible person who you think could never be justified. Someone who has committed the most heinous crime you can imagine. Who would it be? What would they have done? Do you think God could justify them? Well, the uncomfortable but magnificent fact is that even they who have faith in Jesus Christ can have their sin wiped off their record. And so it is with you. If you trust Christ, you know what your score is? It's 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 with God. Your sin is not counted against you. Instead, you are counted as righteous, without blame, without shame in God's eyes. Thank God that our justification is not by what we do, not by our works. But neither, says Paul, is our justification by our belonging. And that's my second point this morning. What do I mean by that? It's not by our belonging. I mean that we don't have to be part of the right crowd or have the right identity to be welcomed by God. All through the Old Testament, God's promises for salvation were for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. Israel, the Jews, they were God's chosen people, marked off as distinct and special from the rest of the world. God gave them the law as a way of a national constitution, as a way of marking them out as a special nation. And God gave them the symbol, this sign of circumcision that said that it's it's these descendants, the people who come from Abraham who are really inheritors of the promise. And so the belief was, if you were Jewish by birth, if you took on that law, if you, ha- if you were circumcised, then you were Abraham's descendant, you belonged to the right people, and so you inherited the promise. And so that's why Paul asks in verse 9, is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised? Is it for the Jews or also for the Gentiles too? And again, Paul, he brings up the example of Abraham. Abraham was circumcised, so surely that counts for something, right? But his answer was that, well, yes, he was circumcised, but that was only after he trusted in God, only after he showed that faith. The circumcision was just a sign of the righteousness that he had through faith in Christ. And so what matters isn't circumcision or the law, it is faith. What matters is not being part of the right people, it is trusting in Christ. All who trust in Jesus become one family, united together, righteous before God as one. We so badly need to hear this. Identity is really prominent at the moment in our social conscience. And we're conscious of our own identities and of others around us. Our ethnicities, our gender, our politics, education, social class, sexuality. And it's easy to think that one or other identities are somehow more worthy or more deserving of God's grace. 
But the message here is that there is no identity that is more or less deserving because all can be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have these, I think, religious identity markers as signs that suggest that we might be more worthy. I meet a lot of people around here who have a long history at St. Mark's, baptised, confirmed, married, maybe even going back for generations. And many of you here are deeply involved. You take communion, you hold positions, you have a collar like this, but none of these things make a lick of a difference as to whether you are right with God. All of these, if any of those things give you confidence before him, forget it. What you need is faith in Jesus Christ. That's what counts. And so if you're someone here today who feels like you don't fit in, that you don't have the right pedigree, you're not the kind of person who belongs here or could possibly belong with God, Listen closely. You belong here. You belong when you trust in Jesus Christ. Because you're justified not by your belonging, but by faith in him. Now this should radically shape our community. And Paul will go on to spell this out a bit, especially in the final chapters of Romans. We need to keep asking ourselves, what kind of church are we? Are we another exclusive private club? No. As Michael likes to put it, we're the least exclusive club in the eastern suburbs. (laughs) We are a diverse community centred around faith in Jesus for all who believe, all ages and stages, all ethnicities, all politics, all social kinds, And so we have to live this out, keep reaching across these barriers that we so easily put up for ourselves. And later in Romans, Paul focuses especially on eating together, spending time reaching across, showing hospitality, expressing the unity that we have. And so we've got to do that in our morning tea. You know, we... Because of our geography, we so easily end up kind of split up in a couple of groups of people with kids and and people without. And, you know, there's something kind of practical about that. But why don't we get in there and get to know people we don't know and show that these boundaries, barriers, these social differences that might be pragmatically useful actually have to be overcome and have to be overcome through the gospel of Jesus. And in connect groups, when we meet with people, we don't just meet with people who are are like us and who we agree with, but maybe people who we really disagree with and are really quite different to us. And so express that, that unity that we have as being made one through faith in Jesus Christ. We have our guest who's coming to lunch coming up in a few weeks. Another great opportunity for us to cross those boundaries, have lunch with people, Gosh, even, even with people who might rub you up the wrong way, but with whom you have unity through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And so the remaining question is, what is this faith? What does this faith look like? Because if we want to be justified by it, we really need to get it right. I speak to people all the time who know that they need to have faith in God, but they're not sure that they quite have what it takes. Well, if you're worried about that, if you've, whether you've quite got what it takes to have that kind of faith, I want you to know that you do. You do have what it takes because it's not about your faith. It's about God. And Paul uh, explains that a little bit here. He gives us example, Abraham's example of faith. And I just want to finish by giving you three quick things about this faith. And the first is that it is trust about trusting the promises of God. At the heart of Christianity is God's promise to save us from our sin, to make us his own, and to bless us for eternity. And so faith firstly means trusting that promise, trusting the promise God to declare you righteous in Christ. You can believe all sorts of things about God. You can believe that God exists. You can believe that he is holy. You can believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. You can believe that, that God deserves all worship and show him all reverence, all while still trying to justify yourself. Real Christian faith doesn't look like that. Real Christian faith trusts in God's promises to save. Second, this faith depends on God's power. God's power. Abraham's situation looked hopeless. God promised Abraham that he would have as many children as there were stars in the sky. But they had no kids. Abraham was 99 years old. But the end of verse 17 describes the kind of God Abraham believed in. This was the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. This God can bring his promise to anyone because he gives life to the dead and creates from nothing. Do you ever worry whether you're really forgivable? Do you worry whether your faith is really strong enough? Or whether people like you are really acceptable? Well, remember, what matters is God's power and willingness to justify. His ability to bring you to life, to welcome you in. He can save anyone, justify anyone, no matter what you've done or who you are or how wavering your faith might be. Finally, this faith is a faith that trusts in Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the culmination of God's promise and how God justifies us. And so those final verses from 24, righteousness through faith, is for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus' death and resurrection is how God delivers us from sin, how he gives us life and makes us righteous. And so Christian faith is faith in Christ who gave himself for us. I want to close by asking you, do you have this faith? There's an old pastoral diagnostic question that goes something like this. If you were to die tonight and God asked you, 
why he should let you into his kingdom, what would you say? What would you say? What reason would you give? Perhaps, well, I've tried my best to be a good Christian. I've, I've lived a pretty good life. My faith is really strong. Well, the truth is that answers like this completely miss the point of the gospel. If God asks you, why should I let you into my kingdom? The only answer, the right answer, the only answer that matters is, well, I trust in Jesus Christ who died and rose for me. And when you do, that's the end of self-justification, of trying to prove yourself. That's the end of drawing boundaries around the communities and identities that we do. And it's the beginning of true life, of forgiveness, being set free, justified, and welcomed in. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St. Mark's.